Welcome to another episode of the View Charlotte Real Estate and Entertainment Podcast. My name is Jeremy Orden, one of the partners with the Orden Writer Group at Allen Tate. Each week we will break down a real estate topic, share stories related to the topic, or have guests with experience in various facets of real estate, and then discuss something about our city that makes it unique. This could be restaurants, things to do, fun facts, or well virtually anything about Charlotte because Charlotte is such an amazing city with limitless opportunities. The idea of continuing to educate our clients to the real estate market so they can make the best decision for their family is a commitment we stand behind, and hopefully each of these episodes will leave at least a little pearl of wisdom with our listeners. Let's get started. For this episode, I am joined once again by one of my most trusted advisors and one of my clients' favorite resources for accurate information and fantastic customer service. Regular listeners will be very familiar with Matthew Query of Freedom Home Inspection, who has been my personal go-to home inspector for years. In that time, he has performed hundreds of home inspections for myself and my team. One of the things that I value most about Matthew's approach to home inspections is that he believes in educating his clients to deficiencies and potential safety concerns while never attempting to steer a client in a certain direction on whether or not to proceed with a home. Anyone who's listened to him on our previous conversation knows that Matthew really cares about educating his clients. Matthew, our returning home inspection champion... (laughs) Welcome back to the podcast. I love that you called me a champion. That's awesome. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> you keep coming back and it's amazing because I can have these conversations with you for hours. It's great. So now that you've become a regular, you know, we're getting great feedback from our audience on what they're learning from these topics. So I really want to thank you for your continued support. Absolutely. Well, the, the feeling is mutual. Thank you. In the past, I've sort of eased into conversations. However, this week, I wanted to just jump right in with something that's been on my mind a lot lately when it comes to inspections and the role of the home inspector. Let's discuss new construction and why a buyer needs an inspection, even when a home is new. Oh, that's a great topic. So I kind of alluded to it a little bit in our last podcast, and if you didn't listen to that, you should go back because there are some great things in that. But uh, just going from my personal experience as a builder, um, there was a time where I had 35 different houses, four different communities, three different co-jurisdictions. And that's the same uh, with a lot of uh, builders today. Uh, They have too much on their plate, and they're not adequately able to look at it. They're good people. They know what they're doing, but you just don't have time to get in there. And it's the same way with, with... code enforcement officials. So we always recommend to our clients that they have an inspection performed on a home prior to closing. However, lately, multiple builders have told my clients that they can actually have the inspection after closing and that they're still going to be under warranty. I hate this idea. Yeah, I hate it too. Um, Unfortunately, I've been privy to some issues even when I was a builder or warranty manager where the client closed and the first week they move into the house, the plumbing backs up and then they have to move out for weeks or months while they 
completely demo the inside of their house and rebuild it. So before we get into the specifics, and I love the example you just gave, but why don't you tell me why, in your opinion, the home inspection is so important on new construction? And I think you started alluding to this earlier. Yeah, it's a time thing. Builders don't have time to look at the jobs. The code enforcement doesn't have time to look at the jobs. It really comes down to time. So how much time do you spend in a home when you're doing an inspection? Well, if it's a pre-drywall inspection, we spend a minimum of four hours, a lot of times six hours, depending on the size of the house. Um, Most of our inspections average three to four hours. So that's a lot of time. Something lately that we have heard from multiple builders, and this is kind of what sparked this conversation, is that they've said, well, you don't need an inspection because it's already been inspected by the county or city and has met all the permitting and county inspections. That's correct. And we're, you know, we're not code enforcement officials. However, and again, I'm not, I don't want to trash any government organization or anything like that, but uh, again, it's a process issue. The, the, I've, I had a code enforcement official tell me once that he had 45 different houses he had to get to that were on his docket that he needed to get to that day. Of course, he wasn't going to get to all those, but he was in and out of my house in a matter of five minutes. And that doesn't give you a lot of time to look at much of anything. It basically, you have the lights on, the heat seems to be working, and the house is standing and how you get your certificate of occupancy. It's really disturbing, especially, you know, when we're talking about what could be most people's largest financial investment. Mm-hmm. Something else that's coming up a lot right now, especially with the area of the country that we live in, is radon. Mm-hmm. So why is having radon levels checked prior to closing so important for a customer? That's a great question. So according to the EPA, uh, radon is actually the number two leading cause of lung cancer behind smoking. Uh, people don't know this, and uh, it's scary. It's a it's an odorless, tasteless gas that, that occurs from the natural breakdown of organic material um, in the earth, and it's everywhere. I heard somebody say once that if you're standing at the intersection of trade and try-on, the radon level just naturally emitting is going to be at like 2.3 outdoors. That would be really interesting to put up a radon machine. I wonder if they let me do that. <laughs> Need to sit there for at least 48 hours though. So <laughs> Yeah, you would probably have to babysit it in that location. So, you know, we typically see a lot of deficiencies come up on new construction inspections. Like I'll refer back to when I purchased my most recent home, which was new construction, there were 50 plus deficiencies that you found on my home. Mm-hmm. So what sort of issues do you often see coming up on new construction? Well, uh, roofing for sure. Uh, mechanical damage and roofing. So uh, scaffolding nail holes. Um, mechanical damage in the form of uh, scarring of the shingles where uh, workers have walked up and down the roof. I see that a lot. Um, We find things like exterior outlets that aren't ground fault protected uh, because those are not all checked. Not every single outlet. We actually check every single outlet. We open and close every single window, every single door. And so when you think about that, there's thousands of components in a house. 
And so we're always finding things in a house that, that were just completely missed. How in your experience have builders reacted to your findings? That's a great question as well. And um, we try to come at it from a, a different aspect as well because I know what it's like to be a builder and have your house inspected and looked at. Um, we want to partner with the superintendent or the builder. And um, when you do that, when you explain things in a way that that comes around that the builder actually has their best interest in mind, it really makes the builder less adversarial and honestly more open to receiving the things that we have put in the inspection report. I think that some builders, like you said, have come to the belief that a home inspector is trying to like catch them making errors. I've always mm-hmm. viewed it that like if you're actively building, as you say, like 20 plus homes at a time, mm-hmm. no matter how detailed you are, something's always going to fall through the cracks, hopefully not literally. <laughs> so what, in your opinion, is your role when it comes to inspecting new construction? My role, it, it very simply put is to look at the things and write them down. I want the best product, finished product for the clients. My role, I can tell you what it is not, is coming in and finding all of the cosmetic defects like your blue tape things. I'm checking the house for function. I want to make sure that when you move in that house that everything works and that you have all the components that you should have. I love that approach and it's, you know, why I said that I turned to you when I bought my new construction home. And on my house, you found numerous items, including broken trusses, wiring issues, potential drainage issues, mm-hmm. and the dreaded garage door labeling. <laughs> yeah, I love that you brought that up. That's funny. Yeah, it's funny until I have to explain to a client why, you know, on a 20-year-old home, you're putting that there's not a label on his garage door. <laughs> we are very, very thorough. So this topic is really fresh on my mind because a builder recently told one of my clients that he's welcome to have a home inspection performed, but they're going to take the report and throw it in the garbage. I was shocked that he said that, as I've often found builders to be really responsive to a home inspection report. I know you and I discussed this off air, but can you rewind for a moment and tell our audience your reaction to this? Yeah, um, we unfortunately have had that happen. This isn't the norm. But sometimes, again, you have a superintendent who has had really, really bad experience with home inspectors and then coupled that with poor management within the company to say that we don't have to do anything when this home inspection report comes in because we've passed quote unquote code inspections. Um, That's when that type of a situation happens. I had it recently and actually was banned from a local builder because that builder did the exact thing that you're talking about at a pre-drywall inspection, refused to fix things, and the only recourse of action was for the um, for the client to go to the county. And they didn't like that, and their job got shut down for several extra days instead of actually you know, fixing the things and just going on with their day and explaining the things to the clients. They, they decided to be adversarial, and unfortunately that happens. So... Obviously, this brings up an important topic because your role as an inspector is to identify potential safety issues, building standard deviations, or something that is incorrect or a potential problem. 
However, sometimes a builder will say that this is built within the tolerances and provide that data. I, I think of things like cultured stone going all the way down to yeah. the slab or woven shingles. Mm-hmm. So can you explain to our audience what's the difference between an item being listed on a home inspector's report and a builder's response that it's within the tolerances and why these discrepancies even come up? Well, that's great. Uh, Sometimes um, it's difficult to explain why a builder doesn't want to take responsibility for something that's clearly within manufacturer recommendations. Um, But what I like to tell clients is that I don't know if I want to go so far as to say it's an insurance policy, but I write the things down uh, how I see them and not in accordance with my opinion. It's based on fact, it's based on experience that I've had in the past, and it's also based on manufacturer recommendations. So that if they ever have any issue in the future and the builder has said, no, we're not fixing this, they can pull that inspection report up and say, look, we showed you this, you said no, now you're going to fix it because now we have a bigger problem. It reminds me where we recently had a transaction that I think you were involved in where the roof of a new construction home was installed improperly. And it was obvious to anybody with a set of eyes. However, the builder protested it. It ended up in threats of lawsuits. And ultimately, the buyer terminated the contract. Can you give me an example, maybe like one of the more extreme items that you've uncovered during your career of inspecting new construction homes? Yeah, the uh, pre-drywall report that I use as an uh, example and send out to potential clients or realtors actually had 26 different broken trusses in it that new construction builder 100% refused to even address the issues that I found and essentially told the client I've passed my my framing inspection and my rough inspections and the code enforcement has said I can put sheetrock in and uh, that job actually got shut down for weeks (laughs) I mean it's just so crazy because I think that the public is led to believe that when they're buying new construction, they're buying something that's perfect. No, they're not. And honestly, a lot of builders hire um, superintendents that don't have any construction background. They hire people that are really good with customer service and they teach them what they need to know and how to read building plans and things like that. So getting back to the builders who say, don't do an inspection until after you close, What would be your response to these builders? And obviously you have no bias being that you own a home inspection company. Yeah, none at all. So I want to help them notate the defects in advance because if I'm speaking to a superintendent, my my conversation with them is, wouldn't you rather me come in and find the things that are wrong or that I deem to be incorrect, even if you might disagree with them, and you have the opportunity to fix them now rather than them becoming a deficiency after the client moves in. And then you have to work with the client's schedule. You potentially, if it's a, like we mentioned earlier, plumbing issue uh, where it backs up into the house, you have to move them out. It costs tens of thousands of dollars for you to move them out and potentially uh, replace furniture. It's just so messy. Why wouldn't you want to have the house looked at just one more time? 
So now let's shift to reinspections. So this is something that I have started to become a really big fan of. What's your thoughts on the service? Yeah, so reinspections are when we have done a home inspection and then the client would choose to come have us come back out and look at only the items that they've negotiated with the seller. And um, I highly recommend this because I, I don't want to say 100% of the time because it's not true, but I would literally say 99% of the time when we go back out, we find items that haven't been completed. They've been incomplete, um, partially incomplete, uh, not co- not completed to the standards, or they've been uh, they made something else worse. So I'm going to ask you to take off your home inspection house for a moment. I will try. And have you imagined that you're a buyer in today's market? We'll forget that you're an experienced home inspector as well as having you know all of your experience as a builder. What services would you hire an inspector to perform throughout your build to ensure that you are protecting your investment? I would want everything looked at. Um, I mean, if I'm getting a general home inspection, um, I'm going to follow the advice of the people that are the experts. You know, I'm going to ask my realtor, Hey, I, I should get a home inspection. Is there anything else you think that I should get or follow the advice of the home inspector? I mentioned this in the last question, protecting your investment. I've had multiple clients decline to do an inspection Almost like ignorance of a problem is bliss. If they don't know about it, Mm. then nothing can prevent them from moving forward. What's your thought process on people who decline to do an inspection prior to purchase? Well, the first thing that I think of is Tom Hanks' (laughs) movie, The Money Pit. (laughs) That's (laughs) That's exactly where my mind will forever go from this moment forward. Yeah. You got to know. I don't understand why people wouldn't want to know, even if you don't intend on fixing it. I 100% am going to buy this house. I lo- I'm buying it for the area. I'm buying it for the school district. I'm buying it for an investment. Okay, great. Why don't you find out what's wrong with it as well to make sure that when you go to sell it, you're not stuck with all the things. It's almost like that you know, joke that you and I passed back and forth like, I'm really glad I saved this couple of hundred dollars on a home inspection that I can put to the tens of thousands of dollars of repairs. I know. An average home inspection is 500 bucks. I mean, that is one of the least, uh, the smallest costs that you're going to incur in in purchasing a home. It's so worth it. Well, Matthew, once again, you've said it all. I mean, obviously this topic was on my mind, but I think that you did an amazing job as always about, you know, explaining to our audience the importance of having a new construction home inspected. I I ask you this every single time, but would you come back and talk with us again in the future? I would love to. Well, you are the man, our reigning champion. Thank you very much, Matthew. Thank you, Jeremy. For this week's entertainment topic, I'm joined by my friend Adam Duke, owner of Duke's Bread. Duke's Bread has been a Charlotte staple that most of our listeners have likely experienced and enjoyed without ever really knowing it. This week, we're going to discuss with Adam why and how he started his bread company here in Charlotte, why Charlotte was the perfect destination, and all the places that you've likely eaten his food. Finally, I'm going to see if Adam will share some of his bread secrets to help inspire and educate our audience. Mr. Adam Duke, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Jeremy. Always a pleasure to be here with you. So the last time you were here, you were talking about Title Belt Pro, and the reception from our audience was fantastic. So I thank you for coming back for a return appearance. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. 
going to do my best this week to stay on topic because, as you know, I can easily go off on crazy tangents every single time I'm having discussions with you. So let's talk about Duke's Bread to start. Can you give our audience some background on how you got started in the bread and bakery business? Absolutely. So I originally got into this industry wanting to be a pastry chef, and I trained to be kind of a pastry chef in a higher-end restaurant. Um, I went to culinary school, uh, got my degree in baking and pastry, and then one of my first pastry jobs that I had, the guy that was training me made me make bread before every shift. And that just turned into a thing that I really like to do. Um, in the restaurant industry, um, bread is kind of a big deal in that a lot of people can't do it. Um, there's a lot of high-end chefs run very successful restaurants. They can't make bread. It's kind of a mix between cooking and baking. It's an art and a science at the same time. It's a totally different beast than either of those things. And I was pretty good at it. So it's kind of a thing I always gravitated towards. And um, when I was going through culinary school, I was doing my internship. Um, I went to Chicago and did my internship at a very high-end restaurant there. And it just completely kicked my butt. And it made me realize that uh, the restaurant, the traditional restaurant life was not for me. And it made me reevaluate a lot of stuff in my life. And uh, I kind of decided that I was going to open a, a bread bakery in Charlotte. Um, and getting into that, uh, it, was, it was kind of just a, really a fluke thing. Um, I really wanted to go into culinary education and be a teacher. But when I graduated from college, it was in the middle of a recession. There weren't any jobs and I needed to do something. So I just decided to, just to make ends meet at the time, just start making bread out of my garage. And, you know, long story short, it's 13 years later and still doing it. I see the term artisanal tossed around a lot. Like it's on bags of rice at the Harris Teeter. When you use the term artisanal <laughs> bread, what does that mean? Yeah, so in general, uh, the, the term artisanal doesn't really mean anything. It's one of those words that anyone can put it on anything. Um, for me personally, I try to use it carefully. Uh, for me, artisanal is a handmade product by um, a person who is, is trained specifically to do that thing. And it's a, a fresh product with the best ingredients um, and put out there, you know, wholesomely and, and, and honestly to, you know, be some of the best uh, product uh, out there on the market. So based off of your definition of something handmade with the best ingredients, is Duke's bread artisanal bread? We definitely do um, publicly claim that. I would say, uh, you know, clarification on that. I don't think we are the highest end product out there. I don't think we're the best product out there. Kind of our goal, um, since we are mainly a wholesale company, our goal is to not necessarily be uh, a high-end artisanal product. Um, and obviously our goal is not to be kind of like a, a large production mass produced company. Really what we're trying to do is we're trying to be somewhere in the middle. We're, uh, wholesale bakeries are notorious for just pumping out um, product as cheaply and as quickly uh, and as efficiently as possible. We try to make um, a handmade product um, with high quality ingredients 
at a low enough price point where restaurants can afford to wholesale it and put it on their menu and have um, a local handmade product that they can feel good about. That sounds pretty artisanal to me. As the parent of a child with a severe nut allergy, I've always found bakeries to be really intimidating. Between cross-contamination and allergens, I typically find myself buying more mass-produced products because the labels tell me whether or not something contains nuts or is processed in a facility that uses nuts. Yeah, that's obviously a concern on a lot of people's minds these days. Um, Us personally at Duke's Bread, we are a nut-free facility, Um, so anyone who has that concern can, you know, be safe with eating our products. Uh, It is a little bit tricky out there because there are so many different products and so many different allergens. Um, I will say that both us as a business and the industry in general is really gravitating towards being a lot more careful in that regard and having a lot more labeling. Um so that people with those allergens uh, can, you know, comfortably eat and confidently have products. Um, But yes, us personally, we are a nut-free facility, and we list uh, any allergens and dietary restrictions uh, clearly on labels of things that we sell to the public. What type of bread does Duke's Bread produce? So we produce probably six or seven different dough types, Um, but with those dough types, we make a hundred different products. Um, You know, our big thing that we do is sourdough. Um, and then we also do whole wheat, multigrain, a brioche, potato, pretzel, um, a lot of different things. But so like with sourdough, so we'll take sourdough and we'll turn that into um, like a rustic sourdough. We proof it like in a basket and score it. It looks like a really nice, attractive loaf of bread. We'll also just put that in like a pan and then you can slice it for like sandwich bread. Um, we'll put gorgonzola cheese in it and turn that into a round and have that be like a really nice cheesy loaf. We'll um, take it and make it into like a, a focaccia with like roasted garlic. Um, you know, we take our different products and then we kind of like customize them to our customers' needs and what they want. It's a lot of different types of bread you just named, and you might have even just made up some of those names and I would have no idea. What's your personal favorite bread that you guys make? I think my personal favorite, uh, I actually just named it, uh, was, was the Gorgonzola loaf. It's one of the things that I've made since day one. Um, and it, it, I, I just had a slice this morning, honestly. Uh, it's the combination of the Gorgonzola with onion um, in the sourdough. It's just really hard to beat for me. Um, close runner-up is a thing pretty recently that we figured out how to do is to take um, like our soft potato dough and pretzelize it. Um, so we'll take that and put like jalapenos and cheddar in it. And uh, uh, so like a, a potato pretzel jalapeno cheddar it's fantastic and are these secret recipes or how are you developing these i mean i as secret as any restaurant recipe is i suppose i mean bread is a little bit different um it's bread is strange in that it's almost impossible to write a recipe for it obviously you know you can have the ingredients and the scaling and that's very exact but the the method of production, kind of the different steps that you take to actually make it, um, it's not really a thing that you can write down. It's really a look and a feel sort of thing. It depends on how hot it is that day, how humid it is that day, um, whether you look at the dough weirdly or not. Um, you know, it's just there's a lot of different things that you have to take into account beyond just a normal sort of uh, method of production. What are the outlets that Duke's Bread sells to? 
Sure. So for the general public, um, the places that you can go to actually purchase our bread, um, we sell to Whole Foods. We sell to Mecklenburg County Market. Um, we sell to uh, Bradford Store. Those are places that will actually get our bread, and you can walk into there and actually buy it. So Duke's Bread is not a retail shop, though, correct? That's correct. Yeah, we just have like a little industrial space. Um, if you drove by, you would have no idea. And we just produce out of there and then distribute. Um, we cannot sell out of there. So uh, we rely on about 60 or 70 different wholesale partners. Um, those are restaurants and markets and lots of different types of shops um, to carry our bread and make us look good. I'm not going to ask your client list, but what type of restaurants can people find your products in? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll name a few. Um, uh, Bang Bang Burgers, 300 East, um, Snooze, uh, Dilworth Tasting Room. There's a lot of different kind of places all around town, all different levels, high end, low end. Um, we and we try to make custom products for different people's bread needs. I'm going to ask you to take your chef hat off for a moment and put on your, I don't know, like a business owner hat. I don't, that makes no sense whatsoever. Regardless, as a business owner, why did you decide that Charlotte was the right place to start a bread company back in 2010? Uh, well, so kind of like my running joke with myself is like, you know, despite, like I mentioned, having been in business for 13 years, I still do not consider myself a business person. <laughs> I just don't think I have that level of business savvy. I think it, I, I just know how to survive. Um, I didn't, I did, I started Duke's bread because I needed a job and it just happened to work out really well. I will say that that has turned out very well because the restaurant scene in Charlotte has absolutely thrived since I arrived here. Um, when I first came to Charlotte, it was just a chain restaurant town. You know, if you wanted to go out to dinner, um, it was going to be a national chain. And what it has evolved into and the restaurant scene that has developed has been absolutely incredible. And the business that we do is really still kind of unique to the area and uh, something that has really flourished with this, uh, you know, uprising in the local food scene. I've been having discussions with a lot of business owners lately about why they chose Charlotte and everyone's answer, like the one that you just gave is really unique. However, I want to talk about the economic climate of our area that makes it enticing for business owners. So how as a business owner, do you think that the economic climate of Charlotte facilitates a successful business operation? I mean, currently it's, it's pretty exciting because Charlotte is such a thriving up and coming city. I mean, I, I know that's been said for the last, you know, 10 years, but it's it's still happening, um, still rapidly growing. And the different kind of like scenes in Charlotte are, are, are still moldable by, you know, innovative businesses. And there's lots of different niches that, that can be filled. Um, you know, like, like I mentioned, uh, our what we do exactly is still pretty unique and with the restaurant scene specifically um thriving the, the way it is you know we have kind of ridden 
the coattails of all these other different restaurants that have sort of uh, thrived and come up and and we've really been able to support them and feel like you know we have really contributed to this scene as a whole like many other people during the depths of the pandemic i tried to make bread i think there was like a master class on it or something and i wanted to try to make something and it of course was a complete disaster adam why can't i make anything decent in my kitchen well, I can't talk to uh, all the other items besides bread, um, but in regards to exactly bread, yeah, it's it's just really tough. It's it's an art and it's a science. It's you have to be exact, but you have to be able to look at it and kind of have a look and feel of it. Um, it's really a hard thing to get around, and you know. Uh, not to continue to repeat myself, but it's a thing that it's really hard to write a recipe for or follow a recipe for any time that people ask me for tips. You know, they're like, oh, but how long does it proof for? How long do I bake it for? And the answer is, you know, you proof it until it's ready and you bake it until it's done. Um, and really the trick there is you just need to learn what that looks like. So this is going to kind of piggyback right on that last discussion about my terrible baking attempts. I tried your pizza dough, and I'm not saying this because you're here, but you make the best pizza dough I've ever had. I tried to replicate it, and the results are what we could probably classify as like Jeremy consistent, meaning it went directly in the garbage, and we've ordered something you know, for delivery for dinner. What advice could you give to our audience when it comes to baking in general? Absolutely. And this is actually going to be, uh, you know, cooking in general. And that is to learn techniques and learn the science behind it. And this isn't an easy answer, but uh, it's the right answer. Um, if you learn correct techniques and if you learn the science behind why you are doing things in a recipe, eventually you don't need a recipe. Um, and you can just riff on things and you, if you understand, um, the techniques, you can do whatever you want and you're going to be able to like, look at something that you're making and you're going to know, okay, well, I can see that this is proofed too much. So either it's too warm or I put too much sugar in it, which is what has fed the yeast. So the yeast is too active and now Instead of just winging it and throwing it in the oven and hoping for the best, you know, okay, well, now I need to slow this down so I can put this in the refrigerator um, or I can put it in um, a darker area. Uh, learning the science, learning the techniques will allow you to do anything you want to in cooking and baking. In anticipation of you coming here, I came up with some rapid fire questions that I have on my mind that I think can only be answered by a professional chef. Are you willing to take my rapid fire chef challenge questions? I would never describe myself as a professional chef, but yes. How old is your sourdough starter? 213 years old. Why do people always talk about how old a sourdough starter is? Because they're rude and they don't respect their elders. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, so sourdough starter is a thing that, you know, can exist in perpetuity, like forever. Um, it's a thing that is constantly living and thriving and you can refresh. 
and um, you know, it's it's just a, a really kind of fun culinary thing that that people like to do at home. Um, you know, obviously for us, it's a lot easier. We at any point in time have about forty gallons of starter, you know, in the bakery. Um, and we use it every day, so it's easy for us to refresh. Um, at home, people will have like a little like quart mason jar with some in it, and you know if you're making bread once a month, it's a little bit harder to keep that going. How many employees do you employ? Twelve. If you can eat only one type of bread, what would it be? If I could get a fresh baguette every day, it would be that. What do you think of low-carb diets? It's great if that's what you're going for. Who is your favorite wrestler? Hard-hitting questions only a culinary professional can answer. Uh, it's Kenny Omega. What world records do you hold? I know what you're getting at here, and I will clarify that it has since been eclipsed. But at one point in time, I did have the uh, certified... Uh, world high score in G.I. Joe for the original Nintendo. So you're saying that the trading card that I have in my wallet of you is no longer... It's completely void. Wow. Favorite TV show? The Office. Favorite movie? The Prestige. Favorite band? David Bowie. Best meal you have ever had? A linear in Chicago. Best meal you've ever had in Charlotte? Unfortunately, it's not open anymore, but um, Mark Jacksina at Lulu. Um, it's one of the meals I very vividly remember, and I have a terrible memory. So uh, it was uh, appetizer was Portuguese mussels with chorizo, and the main was poulet frites, which is uh, half a chicken roasted over fries, and it was just incredible. What is your favorite thing to do in Charlotte as a tourist? I'm an old person at heart. Um, I really like to mall walk. Uh, and mainly it's because I love to people watch. And I feel like at malls, that's probably the best scenery for that. Um, and just getting out and about in public and just seeing weird people and uh, just getting out there. Favorite mall to mall walk in? When I can get down there, South Park, because like, damn. If you could describe Duke's bread in three words, what would those words be? I'd say fresh, local, and honest. Not artisan? Maybe. If, a four, if I had a fourth word, I'll throw that in there. That's it for our rapid fire. Any other home tips that you want to share with our audience for them to have more success in the kitchen? Besides what I said already, um, just have fun with it. Um, don't get discouraged if you make something and it doesn't turn out the right way. Um, if you don't have that base of knowledge yet with techniques and science, um, just go online and search around for whatever went wrong with your recipe. And there's such a plethora of information out there that you'll be able to locate you know, some reasons and just keep at it keep trying the same thing if there's a recipe you really want to figure out just keep doing it and eventually you'll figure it out i'm sure that's great advice that i will likely ignore and continue to mess things up in the kitchen but where can our audience go to learn more about duke's bread sure if you go to dukesbread.com um, that has the most information about our products 
Uh, it has a full list of restaurants that wholesale us, um, places that you can go to purchase us retail. Uh, if you do want to uh, directly buy from us, the best places to do that would be at the Charlotte Regional Farmers Market on the weekends. And also, we recently just started a pre-order pickup program where uh, you can go on our website and order products on Monday and then go to Free Range Brewing in Noda Wednesdays to pick that up. Adam, I love that you're so committed to bringing high-quality artisanal food products to the Charlotte market. Thank you so much for returning to the podcast to educate our audience on not just why Charlotte's an amazing city and a great place to start or grow a business, but also why they should be supporting Duke's Bread. Thank you so much to our audience, and we'll be back next week with another episode of the View Charlotte podcast. Thank you.